Um, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to, to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 12 this morning. Luke chapter 12, verses 8 through 12. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I um, ask that you would come, that you would, uh, you would just inhabit this time, that you would give, uh, give me uh, personally wisdom um, beyond my understanding. Um, Lord, that we would be able to approach this, this text, um, this, this seemingly very difficult text, um, difficult perhaps um, because it's so plain in what it says. Um, Lord, I just ask that you would um, open up our hearts and eyes to the glorious truth that's here. Um, Lord, that we would be transformed and, and shaped by your word and, and not by our experiences or, or what we want to think, God, but that we would um, give you all the glory and, and all the honor. Um, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I have been, been fearing and dreading um, Luke chapter 12, verses 8 through 12 uh, for some time now. Um, maybe even before we began this series in Luke, maybe just as a, as a Christian in general, I, I, I have feared this passage because of what it says and, and how it seemingly... I'm just going to set this over here because I don't even have any notes worth looking at this morning. Um, it's totally in my way. And, 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 and how this verse seemingly seems to contradict so much... Uh, of the scriptures, right? Because because one of my favorite passages, perhaps all of our favorite passage, is is Psalm 103, right? Where it says, "Neither height nor depth nor 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 anything else can separate us from from the love of God. That our sins are removed from from us as far as the east is from the west." We we cling to passages like Psalm 103. We we cling to passages like Romans 8. You know that that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And then here we come to Jesus' own words in Luke chapter 12, and Jesus says. There is a sin that will not be forgiven, and that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that completely blows my mind because it, it just it, it, it completely it seems at complete and total odds with these things that we love as Christians. Right? This is not one verse. This is not real high on anybody's list of passages that they're going to hang up on their bathroom mirror. Or, or sprinkle throughout their house, right? We, we put things over our doors. You know, as, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. And, and, and we love these passages. This one does not rank up there very high. And the reason is, is because for, for many of us, for myself included, for much of my Christian life, it has been a terrifying verse. It has absolutely terrified me. This idea that there is sin that, that God does not forgive. And, and, and if you ask ten different people or ten different pastors or ten different theologians, what does blasphemy of the Holy Spirit mean? You will most likely get ten different answers. 
right? If you ask a, if you ask a very conservative person what that means, they will maybe just kind of shy away from it and go and cling to these these other passages that I mis- just mentioned that I love so much. If you if you ask a very charismatic Christian what this means, they will accuse you of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit if you deny any of sort of the miraculous or supernatural works of the Holy Spirit. You know, if you deny speaking in tongues, they say, well, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. If you deny supernatural healings, a la Benny Hen, they will accuse you of uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. If you if you do if you deny these things, they will accuse you. And there's a whole um, range, a whole uh, spectrum, if you will, uh, of what people think blasphemy of the Holy Spirit means. And, and I don't think it has to be that difficult. I don't think it has to be that difficult. Basically, what we're trying to get at when we talk about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit as Christians is we want to know how do we end up like Peter and not like Judas. Right? How do we end up like the Apostle Peter who did what it says in verse 8? Right? Or verse 9, it says, the one who denies me. Peter denied Christ. Right? When he was in the, 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 the courtyard, when Jesus was being um, um, put on trial, when, G- when Jesus was being interrogated, uh, the, the, the servant girl came to Peter and said, you're a Galilean. Weren't you one of the twelve or, or weren't you one of the apostles? He says, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Right? And three times before the rooster crowed, Peter denied Christ. Right? And yet Peter had full and complete restoration. It's one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture to me. Is John chapter 20 when Jesus comes out and, and, and he's on the beach. Right? Peter is, Peter is seemingly walked away from the faith at that point. Peter tells the other guys, hey, let's go fish. Right? Let's go back to what we were doing before we were disciples and before we were apostles of Jesus. And so they go out and they're fishing and Jesus is on the, on the beach and he's making breakfast and, and he says, hey, how's the, how's the fishing coming out there? Maybe you should throw your net onto the other side. And they throw the net on the other side of the boat and they catch this, this, this second miraculous catch of fish that ever happened in Peter's life. And Peter looks to out across the water at the beach and says, that's the Lord, and dives in and swims to shore. Right? And then there's this, this portrait of restoration that happens with Peter, with Christ. And, 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 and Judas didn't have that. Right? Judas did not have that. Judas sold Jesus, his, um, sold Jesus out to the Roman authorities or to, to the Pharisees for, for 30 pieces of silver, and there was no restoration for Judas. Judas had committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so what we have here this morning, it, it's really quite simple. And we're going to have a few sober warnings from Scripture, but, but what we have in this text is really pretty simple. It says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. What Jesus presents here to this massive group of followers, remember, Jesus isn't just speaking to, to half a dozen people. He's not just speaking to the twelve. He's not just even speaking to a couple hundred people. He is speaking to many thousands. Chapter 12, verse 1, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together, that they were trampling one another, he began to say to them, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And that's how Jesus began this little lesson with, beware this false, hypocritical religion that only leads to condemnation. Oh, beware this false, hypocritical religion that's based on works, that's based on morality, that's based on all these superficial external signs because what really matters is the heart. And so Jesus is speaking to this massive crowd of thousands of people, perhaps in upwards of 10,000 people, Right, this is the image that's here, that it's a great crowd who's trampling one another. And he's looking out at this great crowd going, there's a lot of pretenders. 
Right? And there are a few who are really going to follow me. He's looking at this massive crowd of people, and he knows that, that right now it's all fun and games. Right now, in the, this point in the book of Luke, it is all fun and games, and there's this great big crowd around Christ. There's this great big crowd of people who just, just want to be there with him and see the miracles and hear the teaching. And he's saying, it is going to get harder. It is going to get harder, and you need to beware this false religion of hypocrisy. And then in, last week we looked at this, this admonition. He says, don't fear those who can just kill you. Right? The threat of death was in the very near future for many of these followers of Christ. Right? It wasn't just fun and games. It wasn't just a cool thing to do. It wasn't just a nice social circle to be a part of. Jesus is saying, your life is going to be on the line, and you need to fear the one who not just doesn't have the authority to kill you, but the authority to send you to hell as well. And, and, and so these are strong words from Christ. And then he continues on, and he says, everyone who acknowledges me before men the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. This is an encouragement and an admonition from Christ and one that we find throughout all of the, Old, all of the New Testament and all of the Old Testament to stay the course. If you've begun a relationship with Christ, if you've proclaimed that you've put your faith and trust in Him, if you've been baptized, Jesus says, don't stop. Don't stop no matter how hard it gets. Don't stop no matter what persecution or trial comes your way. Don't stop claiming me as your Lord and Savior. Right? Because if you do, because if you do, then you will be denied. Be denied. Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before men. In the Greek, this word acknowledge means um, that it's like this absolute sovereignty. That you claim absolute allegiance to Christ. That there is, there is nobody else... Right In your life, there is no one else who rises to the level of supremacy as Christ in your life. This is what the word acknowledges, acknowledge means here. And Jesus is saying, the Son of Man will also claim you in that very unique and special way before the angels. And he continues on, he says, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. He knew that there was a great number of these many thousands of people who were going to fall away. When, when persecution came, they were going to fizzle out. When, when the hard times came, they were going to give up. When people started to accuse them, they were going to say, you know, I don't really want to be associated with Christ. I would rather stick with the status quo. And so that's what he's warning them against. He's saying to stay the course. We see this exact same admonition over in 1 John chapter 2. This exact same admonition to stay the course. 1 John uh, was written by the Apostle John very late in his life. And, and, and when you read the, the epistle of 1 John, you see all this beautiful imagery, all this beautiful father-like imagery. And we see it here in verse 18 of chapter 2, where John says children. Right? He was speaking as a loving father to his kids, to his spiritual children in the faith. And he says, it is the last hour. Right? The time has almost come. And, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now, many Antichrists have come. And when you see that word Antichrist, it's not this, this big, scary, crazy idea. It's just people who are standing opposed to Christ. Right? And in our society, there are a great number of people who stand opposed 
to Christ. And they write books and they have blogs and they, they do video interviews and they're on the internet and they're on YouTube and they're trying to pick off God's people to encourage them to deny Christ and to embrace either science or materialism or, or some sort of a false gospel that's based on religious and moral works. All of, the, all of it comes down to some of the same, very similar things and they stand in opposition to Christ and therefore we know that it is the last hour because these things are happening. And verse 19, it says they went out from us, but they were not of us. Right. John says that they they were part of the church and that they went out, that they, they went out seemingly as believers, but they were not. They were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. John says that one of the surest ways of knowing that someone is a believer, that, that one of the surest ways that knowing what someone is saying to you or teaching you or encouraging to you to do is their commitment to the foundational doctrinal principles of who is Christ. Right? If someone is, is encouraging you to, to, to deny aspects of who Christ is, and, and, and the, the, the aspects are real simple, right? That Jesus is God. Right. Not that Jesus was godlike, not that Jesus was a prophet of God, not that Jesus was a a nice moral teacher, not that Jesus was was a good guy who wanted to help the poor. No, Jesus was God and is God. Right. When people start to stray from that doctrine, it is immediate that that they're leading the people astray when they denied that Christ paid the price for our sins when they when they try to say that there's some other way when they deny that Jesus is the way the truth and the life that's the immediate immediate red flag that this person is no longer a Christian right if anyone abandons those concepts they are an antichrist and they are standing in opposition and they have not continued in the faith And he says, they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father in the Son, and no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will, be a, will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. Right? John says, this is the promise that's made to you eternal life, that you will make it to the end. Don't let anyone lie to you. Don't let anyone lie to you and deny the Father and the Son. Don't let anyone deny to you who Christ is. Don't anyone let you tell let, don't let anyone tell you that lie. Right? And this is the lie that was going on in the church. Or this is the lie that was going on during Jesus' ministry. Flip back to, to Luke chapter eleven. Luke chapter eleven, as we look at um, the Pharisees, right? They had denied who Christ was. Completely. Luke chapter 11, verse 14. It says, Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. The primary and main reason that there was this great crowd of maybe an upwards of 10,000 people around Christ is because he was doing these amazing miracles. Right? Because Christ was healing people. Because Christ was casting out demons. And everyone knew that this power was divine. Right? Everyone knew that this power came somewhere. Right? I don't magically make things happen. 
Right? I can't do that. I can't heal anyone. I can't, I can't, I can't even prepare a sermon magically. I, it doesn't happen. I've, I've asked for that. You know, would it just come out and, and just work? It doesn't work that way. Not one of everything we do is a lot of work. Right? We don't just heal people. We don't just magically make dinner appear on the table. We don't magically make the house big right, and finished. Right? It's just a lot of work to get anything done in life. And here Jesus is seemingly, without any sort of effort, saying, demon, go away. Food, appear. Disease, be gone. And everyone acknowledged that there was some sort of divine power coming through Christ. And that's what this great crowd was there for. But some of them said, the Pharisees, picking it back up at verse 15, says, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Right? Some of them said, looked at all these divine things. The Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day had looked at all these things that Jesus were doing. Right? And they couldn't deny that he was doing them. Right? There was a demon-possessed man who was no longer demon-possessed. There was a blind man that could see. There was a man who lost the ability to speak, and all of a sudden he could speak. There were people who were covered till they were, looked like they were covered in snow with leprosy, and all of a sudden they were clean. There were people who'd been bleeding for many years, and all of a sudden the hemorrhaging stopped. There were dead people that had come back to life. They couldn't deny that Jesus was doing these things. They just said, well, it's not by the power of God. Right? It's by the power of Beelzebul. And in this word Beelzebul, was a, was a first century word. It was a really cute play on the words for the Jews. They did this a little bit. Beelzebul was, was, was transliterated from the, from the pagan or from the Canaanite deity, Beelzebael. Right? Baal in the Old Testament. And Beelzebael was the lord of the Baals, the lord of all of the gods. And the, the, the Jews had, had transliterated it a little bit to Beelzebul, which meant um, lord of the dunghill. Right? Lord of the poop pile. Right, and it was this cute thing. And so they were saying, you know, this Jesus guy, he's just doing it by the power of filth on the street. He's he's nobody. He's nobody. And and, and the thing is, the, and, and getting back to this idea of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the 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 great crime and the great sin of the Pharisees is they had the full revealed and made manifest divine image of God standing right there in front of them with all of the, the trappings associated that they were expecting from the Old Testament that, that he was going to come and, and heal and bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives. All of these things, right? He was standing right there in front of them. They say, no, this guy is not Christ. This man is Satan. This man is, is, is completely and totally wrong. Right? He's, he's not to be followed. Right? And, and, and that was the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It says, Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Right? With the, the great sin of the Pharisees with the, is that they had the full revealed nature of God standing right in front of them and they denied who He was. It's the exact same sin that, that many people who have claimed to be Christians, when, when you see someone who you thought, wow, I thought that person had it together. When you see, that, see that, the person who, who, who seemingly had walked faithful with the Lord for, for so many years and, and then suddenly they're an agnostic. Right, suddenly they're an atheist. Suddenly they, they completely fall off the, the moral bandwagon and, and, and start committing all sorts of sins and say, you know, all that stuff about Jesus, I don't really believe that anymore. Right, the, 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 the person who, who just completely falls away. Right, this is evidence that, that in their hearts, they were the Pharisees. 
in their hearts that they were merely concerned with external morality, that they were merely concerned with, with being a part of a good social network or a social club, and, 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 and all of who Christ was had been presented to them. Right? And they just reject it. They just reject it out of hand. And, 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 and that's terrifying. It's terrifying for, for me to say that. It's terrifying, I think, for us to hear it. But, but that's, that's what it is. It's when people just, just completely walk away. And, and, and sometimes we go, well, I thought that person was saved. And, and the real fact of the matter is, is that they were, they were never saved to begin with. And, and, and where we don't want to go as believers, where we don't want to go is we don't want to go to this place where we start to, to play like, well, I think they're apostate. Right? I think that they've fallen away. I think that, that they cannot be redeemed. I think they've completely and totally rejected God. We don't do that as Christians. Right? We don't do that as followers of Christ. We continue to pray and build people up and, uh, until they're dead. Right? I think this is a, 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 um, this is a diagnosis that can only be um, rightfully revealed with an autopsy, so to speak. That, that in the final analysis, that, that we all have the, the gift of repentance offered to us freely and, and without, um, without measure. That God's grace is big enough to cover every single one of our sins and to cast them as far as the east is from the west as long as we have breath in our lungs to, to ask for forgiveness and to fall on our knees in repentance and, and to cry out to God. Right? There is still that opportunity. Right? But, but once someone dies, that's it. And that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit when people just walk away completely and utterly from God. And Jesus was speaking this message to this great crowd of people. And so He was saying it as, as a warning to them right? because of what was going to come. He says, don't walk away from the faith. Don't deny who I am. Don't deny the work that the Holy Spirit has been doing in your life. Right? And here's the encouraging part. He says in verse 11, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus was saying this as, a, as an encouragement, as a warning. Like so many of the warnings that we receive from Scripture. I lied. I need that one passage. Um, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Another, another stern warning for, from Scripture. And, and if you take these two paragraphs together, it, it sounds almost exactly like what Jesus is saying, or, or the Spirit is exactly the same. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 31. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The, the writer or author of Hebrews gives us this exact same encouragement to stay the course. 
Right? He says we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Because of Christ's redemptive work on the cross as followers and people who have put their faith and trust in that finished work and cried out in repentance, we have confidence right, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. That is a New Testament image of an Old Testament practice. He says every one of us has the same power as the high priest to walk into the holiest of holy places, not by the blood of a lamb, not because we're wearing the proper robes, not because we've done the right consecration, but because Jesus Christ, by His blood and by His work on the cross, has made you holy. Right? And that is a wonderful and blessed promise of Scripture. That we didn't do it, but Christ did all of the work to make us holy. And so because Christ has made us holy, we can be confident and we can live in a new way. This new and living way that He opened up for us through the curtain that is through the flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. He's saying cling to Christ. Follow after God. You have full assurance. Your hearts have been cleaned from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water that we are forgiven and redeemed of our sins. All right? Continue on. Let us hold fast. Right? Hold fast. Not neglecting, um, but encouraging one another. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. If you've put your faith and trust in Christ, God does not break those promises to you. You are not, um, you are not cast away. Right? And he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The author tells us to, to hold fast to the promise of God, promises of God and to continue on, continue on pushing towards Christ. And then he turns right around from there, from verse 25. Verse 25 is so encouraging. Verse 25 fills our hearts with such joy. And then we get to verse 26. He says, For if we go on deliberately, after, go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Right? He says, if you just continue on living your life as you did before Christ, if you just continue on sinning willfully without repentance, that there's no, that there's no reason for you. Right? That, that you, you know, you're just kind of one of these people who kind of... And I was in this place. I was in this place as, as a young person. It was like, you know, I'm going to figure out this God thing at some point. You know, but at, right now, I'm going to do whatever I want to do because, well, right, that, that God's going to forgive me. Right? And I had, no, I had no contemplation that, 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 and he died, and he died, and he died. That there is, there is no sure thing in this life. There is no sure next breath. There is no sure tomorrow. There is no sure next week. That right now is the time. Right now is the time to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Christ. Because if you keep on sinning deliberately, right? If you just keep on going, going through the motions and saying, yeah, I'm going to figure this out someday, but right now I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Right now I'm just going to keep on doing whatever I want to do. Then all that awaits for you, right? There's not a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. 
Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and outraged the Spirit of grace? Right? The writer of Hebrews is not mincing words here. He says anyone who breaks one of the Ten Commandments right, is put to death by the testimony of a couple witnesses it was a lot more harsh period in history back then break god's law you die right he says how much worse is it going to be if we continue to trample god's word by deliberately sinning just sinning without sin sinning without remorse sinning without any sort of um uh conscience that we just we just go on right after receiving the knowledge of truth Many of you have heard the gospel over and over and over again from your youth, and it is time to, to do something with it. It is time to, to, to fully put your faith and trust in Christ, and it's time to stop playing around and, and looking at the world and trying to have one foot in this camp and another foot in God's camp. There, there is no riding the fence, as it were. Right? He says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? If we, if we have somehow claimed Christ, if we have made some sort of public profession of faith, and this is one of the, the grave problems with the American church, when we, when we teach people that in order to be saved, all you have to do is say a prayer, Right? All you have to do is walk down an aisle and sign a card. All you have to do is raise your hand when everybody's eyes are closed and head is bowed. All you have to do is do those, those kind of minor insignificant things and you're saved. Right? And we don't really teach people to repent of their sins. Right? We need to repent and turn to Christ. Right? Because it says, it has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, and, and I can't think of a more true verse in all of Scripture. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing. I, I, I've spent many minutes right in, in this, I was going to say pulpit, but there's no pulpit on this square of carpet, um, proclaiming the greatness of God. Right. Go back and read Job and look at the magnificence of God and his powerful hand in all of creation. Go back and, and read Genesis and, 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 and read it in fear. Right. Read it in fear. Read Genesis chapter one in fear and know that the same God who said, let there be light and the sun burst forth into existence, said, let there be you. And you came into existence. Right. Your life is not your own. Right. You belong to God. And you want to belong to God as a forgiven, redeemed son or daughter, not one who is deserving the wrath of God. Right? We do not want to be in that place. I do not want to be in that place. I do not want you to be in that place. It's my, my encouragement and admonition to you this morning from Christ to continue on in the faith. Right, to continue on and to look at, look at all this world. This is where we're going in the next couple of weeks. Jesus is, is preaching about this. Jesus is saying, you know, continue on. Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Keep going. Keep pressing. Keep, keep pushing on by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this guy in the next verse says, Teacher, tell my brother to invite the inheritance with me. Right? He's so concerned about this life. Right? And Jesus is completely and totally unconcerned about this life. He is completely and totally preoccupied and, and, and rightfully so with the life to come. 
He is completely and totally occupied with the life to come. That's why he says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about those who can kill you. Don't worry, here in verse 11, when they bring you into the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities. Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Flip with me over to Acts um, chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, when we see um, Peter get his backbone. Acts chapter 4. If you remember, Peter had denied Christ. Right? At this point in time, the, the number of followers of Christ at the beginning of the books of Act, book of Acts had dwindled to, to just a couple hundred people. Right? It had gone from the, the tens of thousands that we see here. It had gone to the great multitude that we're going to see in several months when Jesus was, was walking into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and everyone was singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Right? It had gone from this great massive crowd to just down to a few people. Right? And then the Holy Spirit came. Then the Holy Spirit came. And all of a sudden, Peter and James and John and Andrew and all the rest of the disciples and Jesus' mother and Jesus' brothers, all of a sudden they realized what Jesus was talking about. All, the real, all of a sudden they realized that they had the full power of God in front of them. And Peter goes into the temple and Peter starts preaching. Right? When the coming of the Holy Spirit comes, and they, all, the, all the disciples start speaking in the different tongues of the world, and all the people hear them in their own language, and they're like, oh, these guys are crazy. You know, or not they're crazy, these guys are drunk. Right? These guys are drunk. And, P, and, and Peter stands up, he says, men of Israel, these men are not drunk, as you may suppose, because it's only the third hour of the day. It's too early for drinking. Right? Even in Israel, you don't drink before noon in ancient Israel. And so he says, it's too early for that. It's too early for these men to be drunk. He says, but let me tell you what they're, what they're talking about. Let me tell you what these, let me proclaim Christ to you. And Peter starts to proclaim Christ fearlessly. And then the Pharisees are like, I thought we dealt with this. I thought we got rid of this Christ. And so they drag Peter and John into the, into the temple. They drag Peter and John um, into the, the Sanhedrin and they're going to question them. Right? And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Right? Peter's preaching a sermon, and all of a sudden the temple police show up, right? And the Sadducees, and they're greatly annoyed, right? And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Right? The number of the men came to about 5,000 in the early church. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired by what power or by what name did you do this? Referring to, to, to Peter had healed a man who had, who had been born lame. Said, how'd you heal this guy? How'd you heal this guy? And Peter knows, right? Peter denied Christ. John knows. John had been there comforting um, Jesus' mother Mary while Jesus hung on the cross. They had seen what the Pharisees, they had seen what the religious establishment had done to Christ. They knew what was on the line. They knew that their lives were on the line by what power or by what name did you do this? Right? It would have been easy for Peter to say, well, I did it by the power of God. I did it by the power of God. God the Father. 
Right? The Pharisees could have gone along, gone along well with that. They believed that they were followers of God. They could have said that, well, we did it by the, the power of the God of Israel. That would have been even better. Right? But that's not what Peter said. It said, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a fulfillment of this promise that Christ made back in Luke chapter 12. Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, and by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Peter didn't leave any sort of um, room for interpretation there with the Pharisees. They said, you want to know how this crippled guy is alive and well and standing before you, this man who had been crippled for over 40 years in his life, this man is now there standing with fresh and healthy legs. I will tell you exactly who it's by. It's by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Jesus wasn't all that of an uncommon name in the first century, so he added the, the tagline of Nazareth. And just to make the picture a little bit more clear, the one that you crucified. And just to make the picture abundantly clear, that Jesus is no longer in that tomb, and you guys know it. He is risen and is right now ascended at the right hand of God, the one who was raised. Peter says it was Jesus Christ who healed this guy. He does not deny Christ this time. He does not deny Christ at any other point in the rest of his life. And he follows faithfully all the way to the end till Peter's own life was required of him because he followed Christ. This is the kind of dedication that Jesus is calling us to in in Luke chapter 12. He says, you need to follow me whatever the cost. Right? It is a high calling. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Right? This was Peter. This was an unschooled fisherman, uh, a blue-collar guy who worked down on the docks his entire life. And here he is standing before the most powerful man in the nation of Israel, and he lays it all out on the line. He lays it all out on the line. As followers of Christ, are we willing to do that? As followers of Christ, are we willing to completely reject everything in this life, all of the temporal things that, that seem so important to us, right? are we willing to, to reject our, our reputation? Right? Are we willing to, to, to not just be comfortable Christians who, 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 who kind of, you know, oh yeah, go to church, oh yeah, I'd like to, yeah, come on over, come do this. Or are we willing to say that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life with every single opportunity that we have to every single person that we come into contact with? Are we willing to be known as, as maniacal crazies, right? To sacrifice reputation, to sacrifice career, to sacrifice anything that some might come to know Christ, right? Are we willing to sacrifice, and, and, and are we willing to sacrifice um, our money, our time, our, our, our careers, all of it, right? There, there are things that need to change in our hearts and in our lives. And if this is the most important thing, then there has to be a radical reordering of priorities within our life. We have to stay the course until the very end. And I'm not saying that we need to, to reject everything and live a completely ascetic life and, and, and not do anything. But, but is all the stuff really all that important? Right? That's what we're going to get into next week. The stuff, the stuff that just drags us down, right? 
it seems like, uh, like all we do is just, just work, work, work so we can buy more plastic from China. Right? Like, what's the point? What's the point of that? Right? Can you do with less to give Christ more? Right? Can you, can you do that? In, in your life. That, and that's, that's where we're going. But, but, but this is Peter, and he's laying it all on the line. He says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Right? Our lives as believers should be astonishing to those around us. Right? It should, it should not look normal to them. Right? It should not look normal. And, and they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Right? They, they recognized, like, okay, these are two of his disciples. They were with him. This is what they're saying to us. And but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They're like, what can we say? Right? They were shut up. There's, there, there was nothing they could say. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, "What shall we do with these men?" A notable sign has been performed through them and is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them not to speak no more to anyone in this name. Like that's going to work. Like that's going to work. Let's just tell them to shut up. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you or rather to you rather than to God, you must judge. They're like, what's he? Then they put the question to them. Who do we listen to? You or God? For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on this, on whom this sign of healing was performed, performed was more than 40 years old. Peter and John got away that day. Peter and John got away. The Pharisees let him go, and they continued on ministering. Um, a little bit later here in the book of Acts, we see, we see Stephen. Stephen didn't get away. Stephen was murdered the day he stood up and proclaimed the greatness of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. For, for much of the early church, it ended in death. Right? But because of their fearlessness, because of their boldness, because of their unwillingness to compromise on who Christ was, and because of their, their tenacity and ferocity that they proclaimed the gospel every single place they went, right? you are sitting here today. Right? It's not because you're part of a Western Christian culture. It's not because you're, for, for most of us, you're Northern Europeans who, who have this Christian heritage. It's because men and women died to proclaim this message of Christ to you down through the generations. We're sitting here because of, of people who, who did not give up. We're sitting here because of people who stayed the course. Um, people who, when it was all on the line, proclaimed Christ. Um, for us, that's the challenge. For us, that's the challenge. Are we going to continue to stand in this long line of godly men and women who have carried the gospel faithfully down to us right from from the year 32 A.D. until now? Are we going to continue to stand in that line? Are we going to stand firm in who Christ is by the power of His Holy Spirit no matter what the cost? Are we going to let it go? Are we going to let it go? Um, in our churches, in our nation, um, all across the world, a great many are letting it go. And um, we can't do that. We can't do that. Um, as we close, we're going we're gonna to sing a couple more songs. Um, 
And I, I would encourage you to just take this time as we, as we come and take communion. If you've put your faith and trust in Christ, right? If that is a, a proclamation that you've made, if you've repented of your sins, right? And, and if this is, if this is, if, if you are ready, right? If you, if this is, if this is where, like, make the decision. I don't do altar calls, but make the decision, right? Is it, is it time to, 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 to radically change your life and reorder your priorities, Right? And, and I know that, that many of you think this way and, and wonder about these things. Is now the time to do it? Right? Or, is, or is it time to just kind of continue living on in the status quo? Um, I, I just invite you to come and, and celebrate Christ's goodness. Celebrate Christ's faithfulness to us. And, and to continue on and, and not to worry. Right? Don't be anxious. Right? Because the Holy Spirit will teach you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. And that hour... Right, and that, and that, if we, when you come to that moment, right, when there's, when, 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 when you're in the fire, right, and you need to know what to say, the Holy Spirit will teach you. But also, when you're in the fire of temptation, right, and you need to resist and, and fight against sin, the Holy Spirit will teach you. When you're in the fire of of just trying to to persist and continue on, the Holy Spirit will teach you. Let's uh, let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for the the um, the stern warnings of Scripture. Lord, that it's not um, just a nice book of of moral platitudes. Lord, that it's not just a nice collection of sayings. Um, that your Son didn't just merely come to to teach us a nice way to live. Lord, but that your Son came to redeem us from sin to call us to repentance. Lord, I ask that you would break our hearts. Lord, that you would break our hearts over the sin that remains. Lord, that we would, we would, um, Lord, that we would identify with the Apostle Paul, that we would, in, in Romans chapter 7, when it's, um, when we don't understand the things that we do and the things we want to do, we don't do, and things we don't want to do, we, we do those things. God, that we, 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 we understand and identify with that so well. But Lord, that we would keep pressing on towards you in faith and repentance by the power of your Holy Spirit. Um, God, I just ask that for those here who, who don't know you, Lord, for those who, who have not repented of their sins, Lord, that they would do that, that they would put their faith and trust in you. Lord, for those of us who have done that, Lord, and we're, and we're kind of just in this, this place where we're, we're just so, so comfortable, so comfortable we don't want to get out of the chair. God, that you would um, light a fire in our hearts, Lord. That we would, um, Lord, that we would be consumed for who you are, Lord. That your your greatness, your holiness, your majesty would consume our minds and our thoughts and our spirits and our affections and our hearts, and that every single thing we do would be for you and your glory, God. That we would um, praise you. Um, in our homes, that we would praise you in our work, that we would praise you when we rest and when we relax, that we would do it all for you. Um, Father, we love you and we pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.